Welcome to The Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cecilia Mitzvaj. And we are your hosts. A few months back, the EADV hosted a webcast titled Vulva Dermatology with speaker Dr. Fiona Lewis. Vulva Dermatology um, is a very interesting part of dermatology, but I think people often find it difficult. Today we are going to revisit that webcast, but before we do that... EADV Live will host a webcast, Ultrasound Imaging in Cosmetic Dermatology, with Professor Peter Veltius on the 21st of July at 2 p.m. Central European Summer Time. For more information on how to watch it live and even ask questions to the speaker, go to www.edv.org under education. And... It's already time to be thinking about this year's EADV Congress. And it's a special one. This is EADV's 30th anniversary congress that will be held from the 29th of September to the 2nd of October. Early bird registration is open, so make sure you go to www.eadvcongress2021 to register at this lower rate. And now... Dr. Fiona Lewis trained in dermatology at the Royal Hallamshire Hospital, Sheffield, and completed her MD thesis on clinical and immunological aspects of lichen sclerosis there. She now runs the Volvo Clinic Service at St. John's Institute of Dermatology, which is a busy tertiary service for complex valvule conditions. With colleagues, she has established the St. John's Annual Course on Anogenital and Oral Dermatology. She is co-author of a practical textbook of valvule disease written for trainees and is co-editor of the textbook Ridley's The Vulva and is active in clinical research. Undoubtedly an expert in the field, let's see what she has to say about vulva dermatology. So vulva dermatology um, is a very interesting part of dermatology, but I think people often find it difficult. And hopefully by the end of today, you can have a better idea about, uh, about how to diagnose and manage some of the common things. So why do we bother with vulva dermatology as a separate subspecialty? So... There are some very important specific dermatoses that affect the vulva and any dermatologist should be able to manage um, these at a basic level. And you will also see patients who have very generalized skin disease, like psoriasis, that's the classic example, um, where you may need to manage the vulva as part of generalized skin disease. And as I will show you, the management in the genital area is not always the same as it is elsewhere. And you may be asked for an opinion um, from other specialties, particularly uh, like gynecologists, pediatricians, urologists may ask you. Um, and it's important to be able to help from a good dermatological uh, standpoint. And importantly, there are consequences of getting it wrong. Um, if you're a patient with uh, erosive lichen planus who had very severe uh, introital stenosis with problems passing urine. And this patient had had several operations to remove that, but nobody had recognized um, the underlying diagnosis. And also, it's important to avoid unnecessary treatment because with anything, you need to know what is normal. 
And if you know the normal structures, the normal anatomy um, of the vulva, then you can often reassure the patients that uh, this is a normal part of anatomy and that no surgery or excision is necessary. So if we look at vulval dermatosis, this is a very big topic um, and we can't possibly cover this completely. But if we first of all look at the symptoms, so I would guess probably most patients will present with itch, but some will present with soreness and some with um, pain. And certainly if a patient ever complains and uses the word irritation, it's always really important to just ask them, do they feel that they want to scratch the skin? Because often when a patient uses the term irritation, we think that they mean pruritus, they mean itch, but that's not always the case. And it's always helpful to qualify that um, at the time. And then there are all these different topics that come into vulval um, dermatosis, vulval dermatology, and we can't possibly cover uh, all of these today. So what I'm going to do to structure this talk is to talk about things, the common um, things that we see. So eczema, psoriasis as it affects the genital skin, and then the two very specific dermatoses that we see, lichen sclerosis and lichen planus. Because these, this probably covers most of the things that you will see. Um, it, the other things like um, vulval pain, um, precancerous lesions like um, VIN, etc., um, we will just not have time to do. So let's start with eczema. Um, now, there, as you know, there are many different types of eczema. And again, the vulva is slightly different in the distribution of eczema that affects it. So atopic eczema actually very rarely affects the vulva. It actually sometimes spares uh, the, the genital skin. So you'll often see children with very severe atopic eczema, um, but actually the nap napkin area is not, um, not affected and really not a problem. So the endogenous eczema that mainly affects the vulvary seborrheic eczema. Irritant eczema is by far the commonest um, type of dermatitis eczema that affects the vulva. And then allergic contact dermatitis is much less common. So if we look at seborrheic eczema, one of the big things here is that you will see that this is always mistaken for thrush. There is definitely inflammation. But in the interlabial sulci, you will see lots of keratin that just builds up and it looks like the discharge of thrush, but is nothing to do with it. And often if you ask the patient, um, they will have uh, scaling of the scalp and evidence of seborrheic eczema at other sites. And then thinking about contact reaction, so exogenous um, eczema. So an irritant contact dermatitis on the vulva is very common. Um, particularly in the young and in the very elderly. So older women who have urinary incontinence will have uh, significant problems with irritant dermatitis, as will young children. Allergic contact dermatitis as a primary problem affecting the vulva is actually rare. Um, we do occasionally see it in uh, combination um, with different uh, topical treatments. Patient may develop uh, an allergy to one of the components, but as a primary problem, um, it's uncommon. And then contact urticaria is extremely rare. Um, 
when I say contact urticaria, I'm talking really about latex allergy and semen allergy, um, both of which are really uh, much less common. And the diagnosis there is very obvious um, because if it's a latex allergy, then the problem will be completely uh, abolished if uh, a non-latex condom is used. So with an irritant dermatitis, um, as I was saying, this is very common. Anogenital genital skin is much more susceptible to irritants um, and things like moisture, friction and a dis vaginal discharge can all contribute to irritating the skin. And when a patient has a problem, what often happens is they then start to wash many times during the day um, with lots of different chemicals, lots of different preparations, um, which again will just aggravate the problem. And urinary incontinence um, is a big, uh, big issue. And certainly in elderly patients that present with a skin problem, it's really important to refer them so that the urinary problems are addressed. Otherwise, the skin uh, will be very difficult to control. So irritant eczema often extends into the perianal skin. It's often symmetrical. And sometimes it will have a very scaly um, rim. Whereas an allergic contact dermatitis tends to spare the folds. And if we think about allergic contact dermatitis, there are common groups of allergens that will frequently cause uh, vulval um, allergic contact dermatitis. Some of the local anesthetics, particularly the cane esters, um, such as benzocaine, um, which in, is in several over-the-counter preparations, can frequently cause um, allergy. Preservatives in different um, emollients and in treatments. Antibiotics, um, neomycin being the main one, fragrances. And then it's possible to actually be allergic to topical steroids themselves, actually to the steroid molecule. molecule. Um, and the other thing, moving away from, prep, uh, from topical treatment, um, is clothing. And that always needs to be uh, remembered because the azo dyes in textiles, again, um, will, will cause an allergic contact dermatitis. And there are several others, um, but obviously much less common. You'll all be familiar with patch testing. That's how we work this out. But if you suspect that a patient has an allergic contact eczema, then you need to do much more extended patch testing, um, not just to, um, I've put here the BCDG standard series, that's our British Contact Dermatitis um, group uh, standard series, but you need to do preservatives, you need to do a special vulval perianal series and also textiles so that you'll pick up um, the dye allergies as well. So in managing um, any eczema, the first thing is to avoid the cause. So if you found a, a relevant allergen on patch testing, that needs to be avoided. Um, again, if there is a problem with irritation from um, urine or uh, other treatments, then that needs to be um, addressed. So firstly, we would use very bland ointment-based emollients as a soap substitute, um, just the old-fashioned BP formulation emulsifying ointment is very helpful. That can be used as a soap substitute, but also applied to the skin. Um, and then a topical steroid, usually a sort of mild to moderately potent, would be um, quite adequate. And again, uh, thinking about the potential problems with urinary incontinence, then a very good barrier preparation is uh, very helpful. And with th this is where 
people often will get confused with the term lichen um, because lichen basically means thickened. And there are lots of different skin problems that um, incorporate that term lichen. Now, lichen simplex um, is related to a chronic eczema, just as you see that on the skin elsewhere, often on the legs or the back of the scalp. The genital area is quite a common um, area to uh, be involved. And you will see the history is always that these patients are very itchy. They will wake up at night scratching. Um, it may well have started as a mild eczema, but then what happens is the skin starts to thicken. And just to show you the important differential here, if you look at the inner vulva, People will often mistake this for the palate of lichen sclerosis. The architecture of this vulva is totally normal. And this skin is slightly pale, but it's pale because it's thickened and not because it's sclerotic. And it's an important um, marker of the differential diagnosis of lichen simplex and lichen sclerosis. It can sometimes be unilateral. So you will see here, this is a patient who's right-handed that really has only been scratching the left side of the vulva. It's more common for it to be bilateral. And perianal uh, lichen simplex is very uh, common indeed. Um, and certainly often patients that develop vulval disease to start with, it will often start to then involve the perianal skin as well. So the management of lichen simplex, again, is very similar to eczema. Emollients uh, as good moisturizers. You need a more potent topical steroid. You don't need an ultra potent, but a potent strength. And it needs to, these patients need to be treated on um, a reducing regimen. So the itching and the symptoms will often get better very quickly, but the thickening, the inflammatory component takes a lot longer. And so we would normally use a potent steroid once daily for a month, alternate days for the second month, twice weekly for the third month, and then just as needed. Antihistamines might be helpful initially um, until the things start to improve, but don't need to be used long term. And it is worth thinking about patch testing patients if there is significant perianal disease or there is no response to treatment. Um, but in general, these patients respond extremely well um, to three months of treatment and don't need any further investigation. So then moving on to psoriasis. Um, this is a very common problem, um, but it, psoriasis looks very different on the genital skin. You don't have the scale that you would see elsewhere because of the environment being very moist. Um, but what you do see is this very well-defined erythema. Perianal involvement is, again, very common, so it's very helpful to um, look at that area and examine that as well. Um, again, you will often see very well-defined um, areas, that, and this is often very itchy. Fissuring uh, is very common with psoriasis, and gluteal cleft, natal cleft involvement is almost diagnostic of psoriasis. You do sometimes see it with eczema, but it's much more common with psoriasis. And uh, there's recently been a very helpful study um, from uh, French colleagues um, looking at um, genital psoriasis. This study does include men as well as uh, women. And one of the things that I've always thought is that vulval psoriasis is never as easy to treat often as it is elsewhere. And this study really confirms that. Um, we know that about 40% of patients with psoriasis will have genital involvement, but 
dermatologists, we're not very good at asking about uh, genital involvement when we see patients with generalized disease. And the patient probably won't tell you they have um, genital involvement unless you specifically ask them. And it is important to examine the area as well. But interestingly, over 20% who had very good control of their psoriasis on a systemic agent like methotrexate or even biologics continued to have genital lesions. And certainly I have several patients whose psoriasis outside the vulva is completely clear, um, but the genital disease often requires ongoing treatment. And I have to say, I think topical treatment is by far the most effective. There is now some evidence that ixikizumab may be helpful for uh, genital psoriasis. Um, and so that may be something that will be helpful in the future. But as far as management uh, with topical treatment is concerned, again, uh, using a moisturizer as a soap substitute and on a daily basis is helpful. And a moderately potent topical steroid, again, weaning down the potency so that you come to the uh, least um, treatment required to keep things uh, well controlled. That's all the information we're going to be presenting from that webcast today. Of course, these webcasts are available on demand for EADV members as part of the EADV learning. For more information about membership, go to www.eadv.org. We thank Dr. Lewis for making such important information available, and we would like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts to make sure you get the newest episodes delivered right to you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.